have this lovely recipe pamphlet titled New Party Cakes for All Occasions, which was published in 1931 by General Mills to promote their brand of cake flour. On the cover is a gorgeous illustration of what really looks like a doll of Marie Antoinette sticking out of a lavishly frosted angel food cake. They call this cake the Queen of Hearts. Inside the booklet, along with a plethora of recipes and more of those gorgeous illustrations, there's a three-page cartoon showing a side-by-side -side of two women baking their husbands' respective birthday cakes. Uh, I'm looking at it right now, and it really begins by saying, This little bride has been taking radio cooking lessons from Betty Crocker. And it goes on to describe both little brides, quote-unquote, um, baking these cakes, one using uh, gold medal cake flour and their recipe, the other just using whatever recipe she happened to find. And at the end, it shows one image of a smiling bride and her smiling husband because uh, it was a great success. It made the birthday perfect. And the second image shows a scowling husband and a teary bride with a cake. And it says, the other bride's adventure in cooking didn't have such a happy ending. She had not used gold medal cake flour and a gold medal recipe, and her husband, poor chap, couldn't even manage to eat a whole slice of her flat, heavy cake. And that spoiled the day for both of them. It's a classic, right? In an August 2011 article from Martha Stewart Living, Fritz Karch says, quote, through these pamphlets, you can trace the constant but evolving idealization of the American housewife, end quote. Now, these booklets are stereotypical homemaker time capsules, that's for sure. But they're also abundant with joyful recipes, beautiful examples of art, typography, and clever marketing tactics. Commissioned by corporations and created by ad agencies, these little booklets were produced en masse and came either with your package of Jello, can of baking powder, or sticks of margarine, or they could be sent away for. Another booklet in my collection I was thrilled to find still in the envelope it was sent in to a Mrs. K. A. Reed, which coincidentally is my sister's name, or initials and last name, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, no zip code necessary back then, in 1928. Through them, we can certainly see the aforementioned evolution of the housewife, as well as the popular recipes either being made or idealized. But you can also trace the evolution of ovens and refrigeration, food distribution, and the availability or lack thereof of certain ingredients, either due to geographical constraints or things like the Great Depression, both of the major world wars. Uh, extremely popular from um, about 1870 through the 1970s, when we enter the heyday of convenience foods and cooking at home becomes less common, their abundance wanes, at least as a marketing tool. Today, these pamphlets are collected and admired for their graphics, their whimsy, and for their recipes. One such collector has turned her love of these gems into a brilliant new book, tweaking vintage recipes with names like Silver Cake, Seafoam Frosting, and Cradle Cake into masterpieces perfect for the modern baker. You are listening to the Cake Historian Podcast, where we explore history and culture through the lens of cake. I'm your host, Jessica Reed, cake historian, compulsive home baker, and author of The Baker's Appendix. Today's guest is Jessie Sheehan, author of the new book, The Vintage Baker. 
I interviewed Jesse a few weeks ago over the phone from our home in Brooklyn, New York. We talked about the book and baking, as well as everything from finding career happiness later in life, to motherhood, the perils and pleasures of social media, the comfort of a boxed mixed cake, and more. And good hi. <laughs> Thank you for being my very first guest. Oh my gosh, you're so welcome. I feel so honored. This is uh, exciting. Yes. How are you today? Um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm making um, 150 mini rhubarb icebox cakes to bring to the Union Square Green Market on Saturday, where I will be signing books and enticing people to purchase books um, based on the taste of the icebox cake. That's very exciting. That's actually the next on my list to make. I have some rhubarb. Oh, good. I just have to get cream. Um, and I'm totally making that. Yeah. It sounds lovely and strange. I like how strange a lot of the recipes sound to me. Totally. Totally. And it, I love it because it's really easy because having written an icebox cake book where you had to make everything from scratch, I love mm -hmm. make calling for just like vanilla wafers. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yeah, I guess let's start with talking a little bit about your new book, The Vintage Baker. Yes. Um, so the book launched on May 15th. So it's been out in the world for a few weeks now, which I sort of still can't even believe. And um, the idea for the book sort of um, was started percolating, I would say, about three years ago. Um, but the kind of origins of the book began long, long ago. Um, the book is a collection of old fashioned recipes that I have twisted and tweaked from my collection of vintage recipe booklets. And I started collecting those booklets about, um, I don't know, 12 years ago. I think my 13 year old son was one. So about 12 years <laughs> ago. Um, I'm really good at math, obviously. Um, and the booklets are, are interesting in that they were sort of a very unique and kind of awesome advertising tool for ingredient companies like, like flour or sugar, let's say, and also appliance companies like your refrigerator. So back in the day, my collection is sort of spanned from about the 1890s to the 1950s. So during that time period, let's say you bought a bag of flour, you'd either be given for free or could purchase for a quarter, let's say, or a nickel. I'm, I'm not super good <laughs> with old-fashioned cur. I'm good with old-fashioned desserts, not old-fashioned cur. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, when you purchase the bag of flour, you would get this little book, and every single recipe in the book would call for the flour. Um, and I sort of fell in love with the booklets, um, sort, sort of saw them like in a basket on the floor of a junk shop, because I just loved the super whimsical, amazing covers of the little booklets with like big billowy cakes and biscuits and cookies and bread and all the yummy things that I love to bake. And it was sort of serendipitous that I discovered the booklets back then because I had just started working at a bakery um, in my neighborhood in Red Hook, Brooklyn called Baked. And they, more so back in the day, but even still today, kind of specialize in Americana desserts and big cakes and cookies and all the things that I love to eat and make. And so I had started working at the bakery and learning how to make all that stuff. And then at the same time, I discovered these booklets and got really excited about them. And then, you know, sort of over the years have kind of tinkered and played with the recipes in them, uh, you know, 
what I love about the recipes is they, to me, they seem like sort of the perfect blank canvas. Um, they have the bones of the recipe there, but so much room for flavor and texture and um, just tweaking and twisting, which is what I have done. And done beautifully. Uh, it's a wonderful book. And Thank you. I remember you talking about it a long time ago when we used to go for our coffees and our pastries. Yes. I want to um, give you a little shout out, even though you're sitting here <laughs> interviewing me, because you were really smart about this idea when I first shared it with you about really trying to make sure the look of the book really combined the old and the new. And I'm not a super like designy person in the way that I think or in the way that I was definitely was thinking about the book and you are, which is one of the many reasons I love you. Um, but, <laughs> you. but you were so smart about that. And then Chronicle, the publisher for the book, was sort of took that idea that I suggested to them. I, they probably would have come up with it themselves, but I sort of put into my proposal exactly what you had said to me, which was, you know, the book has a nostalgic kind of old fashioned um, theme, but the vibe of it should not be that. So what mm -hmm. I Chronicle did so beautifully was, um, first of all, hiring this incredible photographer, Alice Gao, and um, Diana Yen was the prop stylist, mm -hmm. and Kira Corbin, uh, um, oh, no, I'm sorry, Kira Corbin was the prop stylist, and Diana Yen was the food stylist, and um, Sean Dooley worked on it, and they all just were uh, amazing at, at sort of creating these very kind of retro, modern-ish, but also kind of very much old-fashioned, vintage-ish photographs for the book. And I think that that really makes it special because the book has pictures of the old booklets in it. I tried to get a booklet picture for every recipe. We didn't end up having quite enough room to do that, but as many as I could, we, we put in there. But it also has photographs that are very much, t seem very much of the, of the 21st century. Yeah, it's fantastic. And um, uh, I think everybody did a really great job pulling it off. Because it's not easy. Right. Um, right. Now, since this is not your typical food podcast, <laughs> it is lovely to talk about your book, but I want to dig a little deeper here and um, go into, first I want to uh, hear a little bit more, because you're not, you're, you're like me, I believe, a self-taught baker in some ways. I mean, I know you worked at Baked and, and learned a lot there. But you didn't grow up baking, from what I understand. Um, and you came to baking kind of later on in your adult life. Can you talk to me a little bit about um, what you did before you started baking and, and how you found your way to, um, to this uh, almost, it's almost a quaint profession in a lot of people's minds, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Still today, even now. So. I would right. love to hear a little bit about that, if you don't mind sharing. I, I don't mind at all. So it's kind of a funny trajectory in the sense that I, I think I'm on my third career. <laughs> so I started out, uh, as you said, and you were right on, I did not grow up in a house with home-baked goods. Um, I ate a lot of devil dogs and a lot of Pepperidge Farm raspberry turnovers and a lot of double-stuffed Oreos. <laughs> but uh, no one was making any homemade treats. I didn't grow up with, like, the smell of the, you know, freshly baked pie cooling in the open window. That was not my experience. My first word was not whisk. I didn't like 
you know, pull on my mother's apron string to get myself up onto a stool so I could watch her at work. And a lot of people have those very evocative stories. And I have like the opposite, like me in front of the TV with like a box of Oreos. But anyway, um, but I always loved, loved, loved sweets. And I have a lot of really strong food memories about sweet things, about my ice cream cakes from Baskin Robbins, my mint chocolate chip ice cream cakes and all the desserts I just mentioned. And and my grandmother who did bake, I, I remember her lemon velvet cake and her little tiny chocolate chip. Like I have these very, very strong memories about sweets and I've always really, really loved sweets. But when I um, was in elementary school and then in high school and college, I studied acting and I wanted to be an actor. And so I came to New York City and went to college and started acting and I did that for maybe five or six years. And I found it so hard to be in a profession whereby um, there would there didn't seem to be a, a meritocracy. It didn't really matter how hard you worked or even how talented you were. You still might get absolutely nowhere. And after uh, that bit of time, I just couldn't do that anymore. And I took a complete 180 and went to law school. And I think I was eager my father was a law professor, so that, that was sort of in my blood in a sense. And I just was eager to be able to say to people, this is what I do. I'm a lawyer. End of conversation. As opposed to when you tell people that you're an actress and they want to know what restaurant you work in and they think that's hysterically funny. Um, so I, just, I wanted to have some kind of legit job, or so I thought that where you went to an office every day, it was, you know, you, you, it wasn't freelance. It, if you worked really hard, you did really well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, unfortunately, I only I went to law school, which I loved because I'm kind of weird and pointy that way. And I kind of like school. I loved school. Then I clerked for a year. Then I worked for two years, went on maternity leave. And I joke, I'm still on a maternity leave. I never went back. And that was about 15 years ago. <laughs> I, um, I didn't I, I, I mean, I, I didn't I hated fighting. I still don't like fighting. I'm not great with conflict. And I hated being a lawyer. I wanted every case I had to settle. So um so then I thought I wanted to be home with my kids. And I, I had one baby. And then um, about 21 months later, I had another baby. And I thought, this is going to be me. I'm going to be hanging with my kids at home. And that's going to be amazing. And it was it, there is a lot amazing about it. But I kind of deep down knew I would be a better mom if I spent some time outside of the house. And I kind of I didn't really know what that thing outside of the house would be or should be. But I knew that the one thing I loved doing was eating sweets and even occasionally making them, but but not that frequently. Um, uh, so that sweet tooth had sort of carried over from childhood. Um, and uh, actually, a friend of mine suggested I go into baked and um, and ask them if 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 I could sort of be uh, like an apprentice, as it were, and, and sort of learn the ropes from them. And I did just that. And I would say they were kind of skeptical when I first walked in. Um, I was that here I was a mom. I was probably older than everybody there uh, who was working there. And I was really enthusiastic and wrote a note with a lot of exclamation points and probably came on a little too strong. Then I went back about a week later and kind of toned down, tried to be like cool mom rather than like hyper mom. <laughs> And um, I had much <laughs> success and um, they hired me. And I think I began working one day a week, like bagging granola. And um, and then over time, I started working more and more and more. And then 
Matt and Nato, the founders of the bakery, started writing cookbooks, and they wanted like you know home bakers to be at, to, to 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 test their recipes in their homes. That's sort of as you know from having written a cookbook. Um, it's important to have people like real real life people, real live people, as they say, uh, or maybe they don't say, but I say, um, <laughs> uh, testing the recipes for your book as opposed to professionals, because mm -hmm. you really want to make sure the recipes work, not with your friend who like works in the bakery with you and knows the ins and outs of, you know, cake making and cookies like the back of her hand, but somebody like, you know, your friend who thinks it's cool to bake, but doesn't know that much about it. So mm -hmm. in any case, they wanted me to do that. I was just learning to bake at the bakery and they had me take a lot of their recipes home to test in my own kitchen. And I loved it. I loved I loved the idea that I was doing my job but doing it from home. I'm a little bit of a homebody that way. And not that I didn't love the camaraderie of the bakery because I did, but I also loved being at home and working and, and testing recipes for them, grew into developing recipes for them, grew into, they've been so generous with me professionally, introducing me to their agent and to people in their agency. And that led to meeting another um, writer who I wrote a book with called Icebox Cakes about three years ago that came out. And then, you know, Icebox Cakes led to, that I did with Chronicle Books led to this book with Chronicle. So I feel like it's all, it all goes back to Matt and Nato and Baked in my eyes. Um, and um, that's sort of what has, that's sort of the story that has led me to today. Now I sort of, I, I do test recipes, I, I develop recipes. But, you know, and, and then I've written these two cookbooks and I, I write for magazines, um, uh, uh, online periodicals. I don't even know what you call them, online sites. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but that's sort of where I'm at now. Still super, super in the hustle of it all. Like, it's not like, oh, I made it. I wrote a cookbook. I wrote two cookbooks. Like, I think I'll relax. Um, you, I still feel like I'm constantly hustling to get work. Um, but I'm definitely doing something that I really, really, really love. And it's a really cool feeling. And I feel like I've never felt it before. So it took me a long time, but I got there. <laughs> That's wonderful. And I think probably for a lot of people who are going to listen to this, uh, meaningful. Because I think a lot of us believe that we have to find whatever it is it, as soon as possible. Ideally in our 20s. <laughs> And yes. that's so not the case. I mean, I, I'm right there with you and I understand exactly yeah. where you are. Um, it, it's funny because I, I, I complain to myself and maybe to my husband on the occasion about like, why couldn't I have found this at 25? Like I would have been doing it for so long. I would be so established. That would be so cool. And you know, it's just like life did not work that way for me. I was, I was having um, breakfast this morning with a couple of a publicist and then also um, who just works at one of the publishing houses here in New York City and then a fellow blogging friend, two people I had met literally through Instagram, which maybe we should discuss social media because it's so crazy and weird. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, and, you know, one of the women said that she was 26 years old. I mean, I just like I, I, I was like, whatever, <laughs> I can't even imagine 26, but I was so kind of jealous that she is is passionate about what she's doing and she's so young doing it she has so much time ahead of her um but you know it did that's just not the way it worked out for me and i i don't spend a ton of time like you know berating myself or 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 feeling sad that i didn't start earlier but it does cross my mind on the occasion 
I am right there with you. It, and I think you're right about social media. I think that if social media weren't as prevalent, it may not cross our minds as much because that's where, at least for me, I see all of these young, hyper-successful, creative food people um, creating this beautiful stuff uh, and getting book deals with hundreds of thousands of followers. Um, and it's hard not to feel a twinge of what if. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know. I hear you. I think social media, I mean, I'm hardly the first person to say that it's like it's uh, it's a, a curse and whatever the opposite of a curse is, and a blessing. You know, <laughs> I, I love it and I, I can get really into it and think it's really fun and feel really good when people like my pictures or when I meet somebody, you know, via Instagram mm -hmm. or, or or Facebook. Um, and it's really fun. Like, that's so cool. I would never have met that person any, I, you know, but yeah. on the other hand, I feel so much pressure about it and I worry about it and I feel like I'm as bad as my, you know, teenage boys about it with like my obsession and I want to check and how many followers I, I, that I find so grotesque and I, and I hate feeling like kind of like a hostage. Um, so I, yeah. I, I haven't found the right balance with it. I think people have suggested that it's really helpful if like you allow yourself to, let's say, look at it for half an hour in the morning and then look at it for half an hour in the afternoon rather than like sort of have, I'm constantly, I'm either in my kitchen baking or I'm at my computer writing. And so I have it both places, either on the counter while I'm you know baking or right next to my computer, just checking it constantly. Mm -hmm. um, I do not sleep with it. I know people bring their phones in their bedrooms. I do not do that. So I have like, I give myself a little pat on the back for that. <laughs> well, yeah. And I feel like once we figure out how to balance that, something else will be invented that will cause just as much chaos. I hear and, you. You know, yeah. I think, oh, it's such a complex problem, but, um, but it's also wonderful. It is also wonderful. And I love the people that you can meet through Instagram. Uh, and, yeah. and it is a bit more democratizing in some ways. I feel like I've befriended artists that I've loved for years yes. through Instagram or people that I just simply wouldn't have contact with otherwise. Yes. Uh, so that is lovely. Um, but it can lead to some complex feelings, which is yeah. kind of an area I'd like to span or, uh, segue into a little bit if you're yeah. cool with that um yeah. particularly with being a mom and a baker because i think there's culturally baking and motherhood and femininity are very intrinsically mm -hmm. linked uh, another thing i wanted to talk to you about was uh your experience as a mother and as a baker and and if you find any i mean i know for myself at least for a while, there were conflicting feelings about it. It just felt so retro in a way or so, you know, like my mom didn't go to work all the time to, to have me then, you know, be this baking mom. And, um, not that I, that's all that I am, but it sort of feels sometimes like choosing to go into something that, that is connected so intrinsically, I think with, women and with mothers etc um sometimes has me feeling um a little funny and i don't know if you ever do you ever feel any weirdness in you know 
being the baking mom? Yeah, I mean, it's that's an interesting question, and I and I'll be honest, it it I don't think about that. Um, I'm trying to think about why, and that may be because I have tried the other thing where you're very much. I mean, I wasn't a mom then, but um, but where you're very much having a job that you go to every day and you make a lot of money and you are are fully like working for the man and totally in a big office building and like just have that kind of more traditional professional life. So I've tasted that and I know that doesn't work for me. And then I also feel like I've tasted like the sort of freelance acting world life and that didn't work for me. And I'm not, for whatever reason, doing what I do now really does feel right. And I don't have um, insecurities or anxiety about that choice for either my, the way I think of or as a woman, um, or as a wife. Um, what I will say is that earning money is very important to me. And I don't feel completely legit unless I'm doing that. Um, and, you know, as you well know, you do not make money writing a cookbook. Uh, you have to make money in other <laughs> ways. So I do yeah. feel like sort of, um, I don't know if this is old fashioned or new fashioned, but in my thinking about my job, I would love it to be one that mean, meant that I was contributing to my home and my kids and my household in some capacity. I'm not saying I have to make a million dollars, but I would, I would feel best about where I'm at professionally if I was feeling like I was really contributing to um, my family's well-being, um, and that's hard to do as a as a food writer and and cookbook writer and recipe tester and developer and freelancer. And I'm not a food stylist, which I think can be a great lucrative way for people who like to, uh, you know, make food for a living. Can make money. It may not be the thing they love the most. They might love developing their own recipes the most, but they get to make money doing the styling jobs. I can't do that because I'm not good at that. <laughs> uh, and maybe I'm wrong and a stylist would say I, I'm speaking out of turn because I don't really know. But I would imagine if that was a skill I had, that would be a great way to make some money. I don't know if that really answers your question. No, it I does. also think it's interesting. So I didn't not only did I not grow up in a home with a lot of baking, I didn't grow up with a, in a home with a lot of cooking. Both my parents were professionals and, and worked a lot. And, and um, they had some things they made. And um, but, you know, in general, it wasn't like, the, you know, my husband, for instance, grew up his mother is Italian and an, my mother in law and an incredible cook and baker. And he has so many memories of this incredible food she would make. You know, that was just not my experience. So I don't feel any kind of like weird retro like, oh, gosh, look at me. I'm like. I'm like a housewife, like in the kitchen making cookies, maybe because I didn't grow up with like a mom in that role. So I don't have anything to compare it to. To me, it just feels completely unique and fun and and cool. It doesn't seem like, wow, like what this this gender role that I've embraced and what does that mean? It doesn't feel like that to me. Which actually makes sense knowing you. That's because you're not you're you're a very dynamic person. And I think anything you took on would be you would own oh. completely and not. um it's just, it's funny listening to you talk about this. 
Um, and I grew up very similarly. I grew up no, no, with no baking, minimal cooking. I mean, they cooked, but not much. I mean, I remember TV right. dinners a lot more, it, you know. But yet I have this sort of weird anxiety sometimes about uh, embracing a more domestic role. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. It just makes me wonder, then, where does money yeah. come from? Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, and I... It is interesting. And I, you know, especially with, I definitely want to, you know, I know you mentioned cake when you you ate the mint chocolate, I believe Baskin Robbins was your childhood cake. Do you have any other like strong cake memories? Yeah, that's a really good question. And since you are the cake historian, I'm not surprised you're asking me. I would say the big, (laughs) definitely the big one. And I think I had this for several birthdays in, you know, in a row like in elementary school, would have been the mint chocolate chip Baskin-Robbins cake. I don't know if you're familiar with Baskin-Robbins or with the chocolate chip, but oh, yes. it's a, inc- like, are we allowed to swear on your f- podcast? You okay. swear so all you want. it's fucking amazing. And it's this green minty, it's, it's this green minty color and flavor with these tiny little shavings of chips. So it's not a white mint ice cream and it's not a mint ice cream with big chunks of chocolate it's like it's just to me like the perfect um, amount of chocolate the perfect texture of chocolate I love the way it looks everything about it is amazing but that was definitely the cake I probably have the strongest memories um, about however I also and still to this day love nothing more than a cake mix cake and when I am developing cake recipes I am always trying to um, emulate and mimic the taste of a cake box. I mean, I guess you could argue I'm trying to make it better than that, but I don't even think you can get better than that, truly. I know that is um, probably very controversial, but I love cake from a cake box. So um, I have, uh, do you remember, I actually remember this post-college, this cake I think they called them snacks something. Basically, it was a it was like a Betty Crocker product or a Duncan Hines product. And it came with its own little um, baking pan. Yeah, oh, what yes, were those yes, called? Yes. I actually Googled it because I wrote, I blogged about it once. Um, so I could find that on my blog, the name of that cake. But I loved those. And you would get the chocolate cake, you would get the pan, and then you would also get a little like... Um, you know, foil packet of white frosting. And I just thought that was the shit. I love that so much. <laughs> and that was probably me in my early 20s, let's say. Um, and that's still like um, the cakes I'm always looking for, those kind of like really fluffy, um, moist, I know that's a controversial word, but moist, um, yeah. cake with like <laughs> American buttercream, like 10 X confectioner yeah. sugar and butter. Like I love that. I think um, it's interesting. I want to do a whole episode on cake mixes because it is so, you know, there's, there's stalwart bakers who are like, never a cake mix. And then some of us that are like, but that, you know, that's what I, my birthday cakes were always. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I won't lie. I don't actually buy them and make them very frequently, but if my kids want to celebrate me, which doesn't happen very frequently, but I have (laughs) on like the occasional birthday, will you please get me a Duncan Hines cake or a Betty Crocker cake mix, please Mm -hmm. buy a tub of frosting. And, you know, I kind of have to direct them what I want. But I love that kind of cake. You know, you wrote your Icebox Cakes book, which is all cake. And in your new book, um, I've read you've talked a lot about your silver cake with pink Mm -hmm. frosting. Is that is that your favorite cake in the book? Or do you have another uh, cake in the book that you... 
so I love, love, love the silver cake because I love pink and um, it has a pink frosting. And I also love the name. Uh, when I was when I was writing my book, I would sort of eat. Uh, I, there were kind of different categories um, by which I was kind of determining whether a, a, a recipe would make it into the book. And one was just how prevalent it was in my booklets. And one was the names of the recipes. Like I might not mm -hmm. have put a white cake into my book um, since I'm not really a white cake kind of gal. I'm more of a chocolate cake kind of gal. Um, although you do have to write a book that's going to appeal to more people than just yourself. <laughs> um, but I had to put the cake in because I loved, loved, loved the name so much. And um, they were also called, I think, like Pennywise cakes or Half Moon cakes. But I just loved that these white cakes without yolks had these amazing, whimsical names. So I have sort of fallen in love with that cake. But I think I'm particularly in love with it because the Alice Gow photo of it. It's so mm -hmm. incredible. And it's also, I asked for it to be on the back of the book. I wanted it to be on the cover of the book, honestly. Um, but I just, I, yeah, loved, gorgeous. Um, I just love the photograph of it. And so I think for me, that has made it kind of my quote favorite. Um, but the cake I really love, which is very much like an ode to my boxed cake obsession, is the um, devil's food cake with seafoam frosting. Um, basically, it's a chocolate cake with a like a marshmallow seven minute frosting. But rather than use granulated sugar, if you used brown sugar back in the day, they called it sea foam frosting, which, again, I just love that name and had mm -hmm. to include a cake for, with sea foam frosting in my book. And not to mention the fact that chocolate and marshmallow back to my like, devil dog, Susie Q days like I love that combo. Um, of a moist cake and a marshmallow topping. So that's like, that is my perfect cake. That is your perfect <laughs> cake. Yeah, I have not had the chance to make that one yet, but it's certainly on my list. And I've always loved the the whimsical names of, you know, you mentioned that before, but the because I also have a lot of these booklets and collect vintage baking uh, books and such. And it really is interesting how whimsically they tried to word things, especially in the, you know, 40s, yeah. 50s, 60s. I think you find a lot of that um, in the booklets. And um, and speaking of booklets, you have uh, the reproduction booklet in yes. your book, which is amazing and uh, incredible addition that very few I, publishers. Uh, I, I mean, I that, yeah. <laughs> I wish I could take responsibility for that. It's uh, I actually I my I did a, a book talk this weekend, and my editor actually ended up being there, and I asked her like was this your idea? Because I remember her telling me about it. Like, we want to do this. Can you get us recipes? Can you write an intro for it? But I never asked her whose idea it was. And it turned out to be Vanessa, I think you pronounce her last name, Dina or Dinah, but she's the head of design at Chronicle. And it was her yeah, and I actually just oh. wrote to her on Monday and said, oh, my God, I learned that it was your idea. Because everybody responds to that, and it makes the book just the tiniest bit more special than it would be otherwise. And what's cool is, you know, the booklet covers from booklets um, that are um, that were published after 1923, I had to get copyright permission to use those booklet covers in my book. And that was a laborious process, to say the least. But anything before 1923 is in the public domain. And I could use all the artwork with no, without having to ask permission. And there's a silver cake. Yeah, I tried. Which is lovely. 
with almond yes, extract. I tried to pick recipes to put into that little baby booklet that I was already in the main cookbook. Um, that Those recipes aren't necessarily the ones that I used to create my own because something like the silver cake was in a lot of different booklets. But I just wanted to show the reader an example of an early recipe version of what I was making. Are you still, I mean, do you still... Are you still very drawn to vintage recipes? Do you do you look at them a lot when you're developing yeah, new recipes? Yeah, I mean, I just was, uh, you and I share a friend, Bonnie Slotnick, who owns an amazing bookstore mm -hmm. here in New York City and was unbelievably generous with her own collection of booklets, as well as just um, when I would come to the shop in need of booklets, she would help me find them and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, I miss her. <laughs> but, um, but I was just visiting her, it would have been in March, um, actually finally giving her back a whole big group of booklets of hers that I had borrowed for the writing of the book. And when I was there, I had to buy a few more. So I'm always buying them. Um, I'm still mm -hmm. very intrigued with by them. Um, would love to figure out another way to write a cookbook about them. I don't think it should be done yet because I don't. I still think there's more to say about them. But I would say in general, like if I'm developing a recipe for a magazine or um, my blog, I don't necessarily go to my booklets first. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything? Do you have another book idea yet? Or are you still just well, too, I've, too uh, wrapped no, up in I this really, one? I mean, I'm sure you know this feeling. It's like you really feel like you have to have an idea right yeah. away when you come out with a book because it's when people are thinking about you and your, your book and, and mm -hmm. whether when you have the, the best opportunity to get something going. I sadly am struggling with that. I'm not... I, I wish... I'm not like an idea person. I mean, I did come up with this idea, and it's a good one, uh, obviously, since it became a book. Um, but but <laughs> I'm not. I wish I was one of those like super creative people like you, who have like a lot of I different ideas for for things they could write about. I don't. For that is not me. Um, and I um, sort of feel like if the idea is going to come to me, it's just going to have to come to me as opposed to like, let's sit down at the computer and come up with an idea. But that's the way I roll. I'm so rigid. And so like, can't I find the answer on Google? Um, that it's, it's, it's hard <laughs> for me. And I have enough to do just to keep the momentum going with the book right now with social media, et cetera, that I haven't spent a ton of time trying to unpack a new idea. Um, but I am certainly thinking about it a lot. Yeah, having asked it as you were talking, I realized what an annoying it's question. Not. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> it is yeah. kind of. But though. wouldn't it be great if I said yes, I do, and I actually it's at auction right now. You know, I mean, it would be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but who really does? I, I, you know, I hear that question asked all the time, and and I don't know if anybody ever actually has an answer until way after. I mean, yeah. it just came out, and and as somebody, you know, it's always crazy yes. right after a book comes out and all the press you're doing, and I've seen you on lots of like yeah. blogs and talks and, you know, all kinds of yeah. stuff. And, and so, um, yeah, I asked. Him and like, oh, I well, also I, it's, I, I um, love, love, love writing cookbooks, but I hate, hate, hate the whole process. I mean, hate is maybe a yeah. little strong, but like I found, you know, it's just so stressful. Uh, it was particularly stressful writing this cookbook because I had to get permission from all those companies uh, to get 
to use the the images in the book and I was very anxious about that up until the manuscript was due. I mm-hmm. still wasn't sure which ones I was going to be granted permission to and which ones I wasn't. Um, so that was stressful because there was this whole puzzle where you wanted to have a recipe that came from a booklet that you could get the cover for so that, you know what I mean? It wasn't just like, oh, we ha- I got this booklet cover and 12 of the recipes come from it. So we're set. Do you know what I mean? I want to have a different recipe yeah. for every book. I mean, for every a different um, cover for every. Anyway, I'm going down into the nitty gritty, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like writing cookbooks are it's amazing, and I quote unquote love it. But yeah, testing all the recipes and worrying about the recipes working, and I'm very much uh, like suffer from a bit of a fraud complex. So even though. I've published two cookbooks and um, it's getting, you know, people are very excited about it and people have started to make the recipes from it. I'm still terrified that somebody's going to stumble upon something that doesn't work and out me and everyone's going to know that I don't belong and that I'm a fraud and that et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera, yep. et cetera. So I wish <laughs> I could be a little more confident about the whole thing. And I still think back to the testing of this book and think, oh, I screwed it up. Why did I do it that way? What I ended up doing is just asking like, I don't know, 30 people or something to each test two recipes or 50 people to each test one and 10 of them did two, you know, whatever. And I just, the process was so all over the map and there were just so many moving parts that, you know, I just have all these thoughts about like, what next time this is what I would want to do. And this is how it would make it easier and less crazy. And back to the whole thing about when you're testing your recipes, you do want, you know, home cooks to test them so that you know they work. But you also kind of want mm-hmm. someone who has a really good palate, who can say, yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of my friends were like, yeah, it's great, Jesse. Yeah, it works. But like, that's not super helpful. I mean, that's great that it mm-hmm. worked, but like, you know, I don't know. I'm just thinking that that if there's a book three, which I hope there will be, that I can that I can maybe work with a few people rather than quite so many people and really be able to have a give and take about what things taste like. Um, yeah. One thing about no. that that I just want to mention also is that I really do love my kitchen and I love working by myself in my house, but I do think that I suffer from, or maybe my recipes suffer from not having people to bounce them off of. Like I imagine working in like a test kitchen at a magazine or, you know, it would be just, it would be, or even if I, you know, got, you know, was a member for, to one of those, I think in, at least in Brooklyn, they have like these kitchen spaces with with offices Mm -hmm. people can food people can rent them and have that be their office space and i just would love to be able to have a little more back and forth with people yeah there's not a lot of back and forth in recipe development Uh, and that is actually it'd be interesting to see an incubation of some new kind of space for people who do this particular type of work that's not necessarily a professional kitchen where you're knocking out you know hundreds of cookies to sell or something where it's more for people like us who create stuff to write about and blog about and just need somebody else who knows what they're talking about to say that needs more salt or cut back on the glaze or something. I agree. You know, I know exactly what you're talking about and that sort of thing doesn't exist, but maybe it should. Yeah. (laughs) So I think uh, we will go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, Really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. I'm going to introduce now the question I'm going to ask every guest at the end of the episode. 
if you were to share a slice of cake with anyone alive or dead, I would share a slice of cake. It would be lemon velvet sheet cake, which is one of my grandmother's recipes. And I would share it with her. Um, I would share the version that I have on my website, which is um, uh, 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 from scratch cake. Cause I learned, I don't know, about five years ago when I was kind of researching her recipe because I loved it so much and I found it on a recipe card and I was so excited to try to make her cake and found out that it called for a box of lemon cake mix and a box of lemon pudding. And of course, I knew that that's why I had loved it so much because I, as I said, I love a box cake, but I was trying to make it from scratch for my blog and so I did. And I would love to share with her this for scratch, from scratch version. That's our show. You can find Jessie online at jessiesheehanbakes.com and on Facebook and Instagram as Jessie Sheehan Bakes. All links, as well as one to Jessie's recipe for her beloved silver cake with pink frosting, which also happens to be the cake of the episode, show notes, and a few examples of vintage pamphlets from my own collection can be found on my website, thecakehistorian.com. Thanks again to Alejandra Hernandez for the original music compositions as well as technical help. Have a cake story to share? Email me at hello at thecakehistorian.com. Favorites might end up on air or as a future show. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe and or leave a review via your favorite podcast directory. Today I'll leave you with some prime lady marketing from Cake Secrets, published by General Foods in 1953. You can be 9 or 90, rich or poor, a famous career woman or the queen of a little white house in the country. But when you go out into a clean, quiet kitchen and set forth your shining cake pans or shoo away a wistful man lured in by the oven's perfume or carry a candlelit masterpiece to the strains of Happy Birthday or maybe to Wolf Whistles and Double O's, that's when you wouldn't change places with any woman in the world.